Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. This week, I want to take the opportunity to reflect on a question many of us are faced with when we're applying for a new job or confronting a new challenge at work. Now, you could be a business owner, someone that works in a business and treats it as their own, or just someone that just works in a business and is earning a salary. Now, I want to say this to you up front. I started my law firm with three people. Now we have over 300 people and we are number one in our industry. When people ask me, why is it? And I say, it's not because I'm a great lawyer. I'm sure I'm a good lawyer, but I may not be the best, but I'm a really good developer of people. My philosophy is when you grow people, you grow a business. But here's the thing. I started with growing myself. So in a way, we have to be a leader and a follower. So personally, I think depending on the situation, what is required, we should be able to transform into both those roles because even great leaders learn from others. When I talk about leadership, I'm also talking about self-leadership. And yes, we are going to cover leadership if you're an entrepreneur. Now, that's where my next guest comes in. Now, joining me today is an accredited facilitator, speaker, and organizational development consultant, Dr. Tina Lambert. Now, Dr. Lambert has 37 years experience in the public sector after receiving her doctorate in business administration. She has also founded her own coaching services business, and she creates tailored programs that help build strong leaders and teams, not only in the workplace, but in everyday life, including family life. And today we'll be discussing a range of topics that promise to boost your productivity in the workplace and prepare you for a year of success and to help you develop a status where you are always surprising people. When I'm asked, what is your number one objective when you come into work every day? And that is to make an impact. When someone reads an email, every interaction with me, I want it to be a impactful one. So people never forget you. From today's topics, we're going to share with you the tools that'll help you develop that status where people go away from an interaction saying, wow, This is where we need to live in when it comes to uh, leadership. So we're going to be discussing, first of all, why is leadership important? Tips on how to boost your productivity, workplace stress and pressure, because they're the things that stop us into stepping into our best form of leadership. And we're also going to talk about change and why are we so afraid of change when it is really the number one reason for us to step into future success. We're going to be covering it all. So on that note, Dr. (laughs) Tina Lambert, welcome to A Higher Branch. (laughs) Thank you, Sam. Now, if we don't cover them all today, I would love to have you back on the podcast to dive deeper, especially into the area of change and change management. So you've had 37 years in the public sector. Wow, that would have been a huge challenge. (laughs) And no doubt a lot of learnings, a lot of experience that we can learn from. Now, you've facilitated workshops around Australia and overseas with multiple companies, and your key focus is on the challenge of performance, leadership, and change. And what I love about you as well is that you specialize in minimizing HR risk, which is one of the risk points in a business, if not the number one cost of a business. So you specialize in strengthening leadership skills through emotional 
uh, resilience coaching or EQ coaching, which I absolutely love. That was a key topic for Upgrade Your Life last year. And you specialize in building team engagement using productivity and value systems and practices that you have developed that are proprietary to yourself. So let's kick it off with why is leadership so important? You have to be able to both look at yourself and be self-aware and you also have to lead with the bottom line in mind. So you're doing two things. You're looking at the organisation and the tasks and what you have to produce, but you also have to be really keyed into yourself and linked into your teams and, and your team's needs and what's going on for them, not just as a whole team but also individually with the diversity issue comes up constantly with teams and if we're not self-aware that can impact quite negatively on everybody around us and isn't it much easier to blame others than to take responsibility ourselves and that's a theme I think that I see especially with people that have reached high levels and they're getting paid a lot of money but they don't think that they have the responsibility to do something different. And so it's a challenge to look at ourselves. It's a challenge to look at what we need to do differently. That's the nub of leadership. Are we really open to learning? Are we really open to growing? Do we think we've got a problem or is it everybody around us that's got the problem and they need to change? It's a real mindset too. Yeah, I was going to say, so would you say that uh, one of the biggest obstacles for business growth is the lack of self-leadership? And uh, when you go into consult companies, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see or the mistakes that companies make when it comes to leadership? They don't even have a leadership program going. That's the classic. They're not even wanting to put any focus on leadership in their organisations. And I always say to people, look, the tools that I use are all about leadership and everyone is a leader. You can't divorce yourself from leadership just because you're part of a team but you're not in charge of a team. I think everyone has the potential to be a leader and to stand up and say, this is what's wrong with this thing or this issue so that they speak up. They say what's not working. You see that dynamic happening a lot in the medical area where you've got the, the doctors and the nurses, for example. Often the nurses don't want to say anything to the doctors because of the authority and the hierarchy, and that's really difficult to stand up. But organisations often bring me in and they want me to fix an ad hoc issue. But if you really want to fix leadership, if you really want to fix performance in your organisation... It's not about ad hoc issues. It's about being very systematic about what you're doing throughout the year, having it programmed in, looking at it, developing people on every level of your organisation, not just your leaders, but also your teams and also individuals. So right the way through, you're looking at what's coming up for you in the next 12 months and what am I going to do to make sure that I'm supporting myself as a leader but also everybody else in my team what do they need as well when you look back and you look at COVID and you look at the extensive uncertainty that we've got one of the things that I did was I went into organizations and I said you've got so much uncertainty people are feeling fearful they are feeling very stressed what are you doing to support your staff and the response that I got was we've got 
EASA, it's an employee assistance programs, and we've got all these psychologists and they can go off and see these psychologists. And I don't believe that you can outsource this stuff. Some of it, yes, but you also need to be able to do things inside your organisation that are supporting your people. Yes, love Love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. I love how you said that. You can't outsource <laughs> that uh, problem. It goes into also taking responsibility, having self-accountability, and it neutralizes that negative human psychology where people just say well, somebody else is to blame or somebody else has to fix it. It's the same thing you tell your kids. If you don't pick that up, who do you think is going to pick it up behind you? Okay. So I love that you propose formal leadership programs and organizations. I love that you've pointed that out because organizations only bring people like you in when there's an issue and then it's okay, fix this issue and then go away. Whereas a formal leadership program actually preempts a lot of these issues. It's a preemptive strike, right? On, on issues and it's preventative in nature. So what does it look like when you go into an organization and does it differ between small medium large can you have a business of five people benefiting from a leadership program or does it have to be 50 or 150 yeah i was reading a harvard business review article on how hardwired we are and one of the things that they talked about was the size of the business making such a difference and that 150 was probably the maximum that is helpful and of course you just look at our department of health where i live and they're thousands of people. But I think in those sort of situations, you focus on teams, you build the leadership in the teams. Going back to what I was saying to you earlier, Sam, which is what are you doing at your leadership level? Sure, you've got to do something there, but what are you doing in your teams? You can't just work on leadership issues at the top. You've got to look at it and take a little bit, scope it out, look at your whole organisation, Find out what the, the key issues are and start working on things. You can't work on everything. Pick three or four things that you're going to work on in the 12 months, but program them in. Everyone always says, I don't have money and I don't have time. You've got to find the money and you've got to find the time for this stuff. You what know, are the top three issues then that you've come across? I think communication. And that's a perennial problem and how we communicate, how we give feedback to one another. I don't think we know in our teams what the roles, rules and responsibilities are. I don't think we know how to build trust with one another. Our organisations are so competitive that we've forgotten how to be collaborative and how to be open and honest and have the conversations that we need to have. I was in a meeting recently and people were talking around a problem. They weren't even prepared to name it. They were almost too fearful to name what the issue was. Yeah. And then you're left floundering and wondering, what is it that we have to do? I think we need to be more open and honest about what's working for us and what's not working for us. And that's why, you know, when you introduced me, you talked about values. And I think we need to really work out, well, how do we want to work together? What are the three ingredients that we want? This is what builds culture. Is it trust? Is it respect? These are the ones that come up all the time. Is it integrity? Well, what is it? I want you to be open and honest with me. I want you to tell me what's going to work for you and what isn't. Not to say it disrespectfully, but to be able to have that authenticity that comes from a leadership space. If you don't 
have that authentic conversation with me, how am I ever going to be able to do anything differently? I don't know if you know the model of Len Sioni. He's got a wonderful model. And on the bottom of it is trust, so the building of trust. And as the hierarchy goes further up, it is about what you just said, which is about accountability and responsibility. Now, how are we going to do that with one another? We never sit down and say to each other, look, this is how we want to tackle it together before there's a problem. Because once once there's a problem, you can't talk about it. Everyone gets polarised and the emotions come up and then we're in a little bit of a corner and we can't have that conversation that we need to have by that stage. So I always say to people, if you want to prepare for a tricky conversation, you've got to have the rules in place before that. You've got to be really clear. You've got to have the trust in place. So we don't do all that work beforehand. And so when things fall apart, there's absolutely nothing. So that's just communication. And we haven't even started on the leadership issues. But I think that uncertainty, how do we deal with people's emotions? We can't outsource that anymore because uncertainty is a really big issue. How are we working in our organisations to be productive? We all want people to sit there. We want to see them sitting there at at the desk. And yet COVID made us realise we actually don't need to be sitting at the desk. We can still be productive and sometimes even more productive if we're not sitting at our desk. Having said that, we're social beings and one of the things that I miss out as a consultant is that I don't have that social interaction with my other fellow team members. It's me, myself and I. And so balance, what does that look like now? And working that out that suits the organisation's needs as well as the individual needs. Wow, okay. You said so much there and I'm not <laughs> breaking with where we go to next. Right at the top, you mentioned communication and it seems to be a common theme, not just in organisational structures, but also in family structures. The mm. uh, reason why relationships break down is lack of open and honest and transparent communication. And that's what builds a really good culture. And as you're explaining all that, I'm thinking, why is it that in my business, MSA National, we have such a great culture and it's a safe working environment. People feel secure. I'm telling you what we have, but I'm also thinking, how did we get there? How did we create that? So I'm ticking off in my mind whether we do all those things or cover all those topics that you mentioned, trust, accountability, responsibility. So in our organisation, the first thing that people notice when they walk through, they say, everyone looks so happy. And I say, how do you know that? (laughs) I sit in the Sydney office and we have about 130 people, a half of which are working from home at the moment. But when you walk through the place, and I really feel sorry for companies that had a poor culture before COVID, because I can't imagine how you would get everyone to pull together as a team when you have 50, 60, 70, 80, 90% of people working from home, where you've had a dysfunctional culture, gossip, backstabbing, conflict, folding your arms and not telling the truth, or just giving the silent treatment, I can't even begin to think how you would get through COVID. So in our organisation, people feel like they can be themselves. Yes. Now, I'll call these out and you tell me how we've achieved that, if you like, or what (laughs) qualities 
we've developed interview styles very different. It's very casual. It's not a person behind a desk. It's in a lounge area. There's a feeling then after a few days, hey, this is a place where I can wear flat shoes. I can wear comfortable shoes. I can have my workstation. I have my own mission statement. We don't have a company mission statement. We just have two values, and that is humility and empathy. And I know the others that you mentioned is trust, integrity, and respect. They're things that are expected. I know. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's that, like that's an assumption. But then overlaid on that is that we try and hire people that have a natural empathy for others because we're a law firm. So we have law graduates, we have lawyers, senior associates, and we have younger legal graduates, trainees. But I say it's not about how smart you are. That's not what will get you the job. If your values are aligned with our values, there's nothing wrong if we interview someone who's highly ambitious and very competitive, we just say, you're a great candidate, you're just not for us. So you might thrive in a company that does well with those qualities. So we look for people that have empathy and humility. I always believe that you need to stay humble, to stay hungry in business. To care for your job, you need to be humble. To design great customer experiences, you need to have humility because empathy allows you to step in to the customer's shoes and say, how does the customer feel or the client feel when they're reading this email or this prescribed template? So we look at every interaction and to reverse engineer that interaction to come up with the best possible process and system, you need empathy. So we tend to hire people that are very humble. They can be super smart, but you wouldn't know it because they don't shout it from the rooftops. They let their work do the talking. So our conversations here are open and honest. The tough conversations are had internally in private, but those conversations are also open and honest because I say if you really care for someone, you care enough to tell them the truth. When you don't care for someone, you fold your arms and you don't speak up. Yeah. You don't tell them what's going on inside your mind because people just want to know sometimes what is really going on in their manager's mind yeah. so they know where they stand, so they can make the decision, yes, I want to sort this out, I want to work with my team, with my managers, or no, I need to go somewhere else. So I love that you pointed that out, that the communication aspect and being open and honest, and I love how you mentioned as well that you need to create the right environment for growth and for dealing with setbacks because running around trying to deal with setbacks when they happen with a dysfunctional work environment, you've got no hope. That's why some businesses thrive and others implode. Sam, as you were talking, I was just ticking. I was ticking because it's around relationships, right? So tick. Yes. It's around information flows and sharing information because we're humble. I'm going tick. I'm looking at culture and I'm going tick. And I'm thinking what's really the key ingredient here is what we say and what we do is actually matching up. So you're not saying we're going to be humble and we're going to be empathetic and it's not happening. You want to be humble and empathetic and it's happening and it's being modelled right the way through the organisation. Also bottom up because you can't just have the top 
doing it. So I can go into an organisation and look at teams and say, create your own little productive culture and that will meet the leader up the top as well. But I want to find out what's going to make you creative and make you productive and make you guys work together really well. Because you can't just have the leaders going, we want you to do all of these things. And I love that you've got two really important things. You you go into most organisations and they have seven things and they have acronyms and you think, you're confusing people. From a service delivery perspective, what do you want your people to do? And then in the teams, you say to the people, how do you want to work together to deliver that service? Do you see the difference? Especially in a big organisation, if you're thousands of people, you've got to put something in place so that people know that they're going to navigate that culture. That's why culture is so hard to achieve because we have these seven things or eight or whatever that come racing down to us that we may or may not agree with. We're emotional beings. We can't connect like that. Yeah, I read mission statements and, and vision statements and they're all these fancy words, respect, and, and there's a thousand of them and I'm thinking... No, what is it that really is important to your core? And that's why we just came up with those two values because I've been in meetings with senior executives and entrepreneurs. And for those of you that are listening, even if you have a small business, because when I started my business, it was only three people, but I saw it as a big business. So if you see yourself as a big business, then you've got to start from now. Don't think, oh, we're small now, so it's not that important to name what our values are. We'll develop it as we go. No. The golden rule in business, he or she with the gold rules, right? You as the business owner set what those rules are. Now, the business owner is the person that's taking all the risk. So you've got to make people fit into your organization, as I said earlier. So if you have certain values that are important to you, then don't compromise those values because you're trying to make someone fit into your organization. If they open up their own business, then they then will instill those values. And like I said, keep it simple. So I've been in meetings where senior executives will say, I want to promote wellness in, in our organization. And predominantly they say, because they want their people to be productive so they can make a bigger profit. And some leaders will do it because they want their people to like them. But then I say, what are you doing? What are you eating? Are you getting sunshine during the day? Are you lacing up your joggers and going for a jog at lunchtime? That's self-leadership is leading by example. So CEOs and founders get consultants such as yourself, and then they come up with these values because they think that's what will grow an organization. No, it has to be values that are important to you as the founder of that business. That's what I meant, because otherwise it's not going to be authentic. I meet senior executives, they'll say, oh, yeah, humility. Geez, that's a good one. We we should add that. And then they're not humble themselves. Don't put a value up on the board if you're not walking the talk. I'm, I'm naturally a humble person, and I was taught humility by my parents, and I teach it to my kids. So that's an important value of mine. So you need to be true to who you are. So Dr. Lambert and myself are not saying any buzzwords that you should just grab a hold of and say, I'm going to build my business on this because this is what will lead to productivity. No, it's got to be values that are true to you. Absolutely. And to your business and to what you're trying to achieve. I was writing as you were talking and one was 
when I talk about communication and then you say to me empathy is a value, well, at the heart of empathy, if you really want to be empathetic, the two things that you do is to ask questions and to really listen to understand the other person and to ask questions to reframe and to understand where that other human being is. And if you do that, you will get wellness. You'll not just get wellness, Sam, you will get better communication because all of a sudden, what have you gone to? You've gone to, actually, Sam, I really care about you. I want to understand where you're at. And this is the safety and the belonging all wrapped up in there because you've created a culture that is about caring, that is about asking questions, which is about really listening to understand, not listening to respond. That creates wellness because when people are safe, then psychologically they're safe. They're not feeling threatened. And we know that our brain is hardwired to pick up all the things around us that are going to harm us and are going to cause us a problem. And so all of that fires down. All of that calms down and we go about doing more productive and wonderful work. Before you go on, you said something absolutely beautiful and profound, and that is a lot of companies implementing wellness programs overlaid on a toxic work culture. Yes. (laughs) The best wellness program you can have this is what Dr. Lambert just said, is a great culture where everyone feels safe and listened to. I mean, we have two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we talk. That's right. That's right. And going back to your earlier question around what are the ingredients of a leadership program, and they vary. I don't have a set program. I don't sit there and say, oh, I've got this program that's on the shelf. I go in, I have a chat with the leadership group. I have a chat with the CEO. Oh, wow, I I love that. You know, I don't have these little pre-programmed things that are there. I research, I look at what the needs are of this particular leadership group. And that's why you need models around what is organisational development because you see this when governments change, a new government comes in. They always restructure all of the organisations that they're in control of and you think, please don't do that. They look at systems, they look at structures and they, because we can touch that. We can, we've got control over it. Yeah. We're all, human beings are high on control. I would say to you, Look at the relationship stuff. Look at the values stuff. Look at how your information flows are going. They're the things that you focus on. That's where the leadership resides. So you're automatically in your organisation doing the leadership stuff. Yes, you can maybe restructure at some point. Everything is important when you're looking at an organisation. So your systems, your structures, your processes, that's important. But what's even more important, and we don't like going there because it's messy, it's the people stuff. That's where the leadership resides. But you're doing it, Sam. You're doing it by saying these are the two things that are non-negotiable that we are going to focus on and this is how we're going to go about doing them. Those two things have something in common that are different to integrity, respect, 
integrity, respect, and some of these other ones that I've heard of as values, they're more looking into the organization, how they interact, and they're important. The reason why I chose humility and empathy as our two core values is because they're both outward looking. They're focused on the customer experience. For me, it's all about the customer experience and how they feel after every interaction. We design our systems, our processes, and all our interactions are with that in mind. Now, empathy, you have to have empathy, as I mentioned earlier, to know what the customer's feeling and thinking. Humility allows you to interact with the customer, human to human level. When I entered into this field, a lot of law firms had a them and us mentality when it came to clients and customers. So there was a bit of arrogance there. I'm the lawyer, I'm the knowledgeable person, and you're the client, you need that information. So we developed that humility and it came out of one experience that I had when I was only 12 years of age. And my parents are from Lebanese descent and they fled the civil war in the seventies. Early on, they couldn't speak English very well, but I could. And I would go to a lot of appointments with them and meetings. Now I remember going to a bank to open a bank account that they needed to because they got a home loan from that bank. And I was at the counter with them, and I'm not going to name that bank because all organizations have progressed a lot since the 70s and 80s. But I remember the teller talking to my parents as if they were deaf and dumb. Such condescension. That interaction and how it made my parents feel, how it made me feel. I swore from that day, I said, I would never, ever treat people like that or let anyone treat people like that. At at my core, I was always a a lawyer fighting for natural justice. And that's why I became a lawyer because injustice really uh, bothers me. So when I started MSA National, every interaction we have, I want people to be humble enough to talk to a doctor such as yourself, an accountant or the plumber or the, the carpenter's wife who has two kids who's trying to talk to you on the phone about that service interaction, we are humans. So we are people helping people. We are not lawyers helping people. So it takes humility to talk to others on that level. It takes empathy to really listen to them and step into them. So both empathy and humility, they're two sides of the same coin. Yes. And you know what I love about humility and empathy? That that also, it's not just the customer experience. It's also the staff experience. Isn't that amazing? That's exactly right. So out of that, you end up building a great culture. Absolutely. When you make the customer your key focus, the center of everything, automatically people are coming to work saying, work is not about me. It's about we're here to help the customer. So I'm here to make a difference. Whereas if you live an organization whose values and mission statement is inward, it's about me, the person, what promotion am I going to get? What salary am I going to get? I promise you, your business is dead before it starts. If everyone is sitting in that chair, whether at home, staring at a Zoom screen or in their workplace, if they are thinking what's in it for me every day, then your business is dead. But if they're thinking, how can I improve this customer experience? How can I leave this person feeling better about the interaction, feeling more informed, feeling confident that we're going to deliver on that service and you will build an unbeatable business. Absolutely. 
100%. I'm with you, Sam. (laughs) 100%. And that's why I love your two little words, two little values that cannot just be applied to service. They can be applied to how you work together on the inside as well as the service that you're giving on the outside. How amazing is that? I think a lot of our development has been by accident. I don't have any formal organisational structure training. I have a formal training as a lawyer, but as an entrepreneur, I didn't learn leadership skills. The key thing there is if you're authentic, like you said up front, you communicate openly, then everything becomes easy. Everything is hard when there's lack of transparency. I don't want people to misinterpret what we're saying when I say that I'm all for empathy and humility and we have open and honest discussions and it's a love fest in here. Let me make it clear, we demand excellence. We're always expecting a high standard of excellence from all our people. We are unapologetic about that. So my door is always open and people can come in and talk to me at any time. And I'll talk to anyone in the organization who has an idea, who has a concern, even if they want to bypass HR. But at the end of the day, I say we're in business to make a difference. And my number one priority in this business is not me. It's not you. It's the customer. It's the client out there. And that's what I'm passionate about. And on that point, I just wanted to make that distinction. So people, entrepreneurs out there don't think, oh, this is a love fest and it's all about feel good stuff at MSA National. No, we demand excellence. Also, when you're humble and when you're empathetic, that's not soft. See, this is what people don't understand. They think, oh, this emotional intelligence stuff and it's not going to get you where you want to go. And I will say to you, nine times out of ten, it will get you where you want to go because you are listening. You are trying to understand the other person. This is not the soft stuff. This is emotional intelligence at its edge. This is the emotional intelligence stuff that we're not doing in our organisations. To be able to have that tough discussion but still really listen to the other person and not talk down to them, not be arrogant with it really go hard on the issue and soft on the person. We don't do that in our organisation. I love that. Hard on the issue, soft on the person. That's beautiful. Listening to what I said then, and this uh, dovetails nicely into my next question, is what type of leader am I? And for people listening, how do they know what type of leader they are? Look, I'm still a work in progress and I've done MBTI. I've done a team management profile. I've done the EQ to get accredited in it. And I remember actually when I did the accreditation in emotional intelligence, I was actually working for Menzies School of Health at the time and I came back and I was really excited and I said to the director, I found something out about myself. And he said, and what was that? And I said, I've got low impulse control. <laughs> he just he just cracked up laughing. And he said, I could have told you that. We didn't need to send you down there and spend all of these thousands of dollars. See, we don't know what we don't know, Sam, about ourselves. So it's always being open to learning. It's always being open to looking and at what you're doing. We've got so many blind spots. I'm included in that. I coach others and I, I learn something about myself. So it's always learning. It's always growing. It's always being open and being an observer and really listening to yourself and being mindful of your body language. And I've had CEOs say to me, 
I didn't say anything. And I said, sometimes you don't have to. Have you seen your body language? And I said, even over Zoom, I can see your body language. You've just gone really red in the face and you look as though you're going to blow a foo-foo valve. (laughs) That's a giveaway that you're cranky. (laughs) So leadership is about being aware of what you're doing and how you're impacting on another human being. We're not perfect. We're going to have our bad days. We're human. It's understanding that. It's going in there and saying, you know what, Sam, I didn't do that very well yesterday with you. I'd really like to start again. Can we draw a line in the sand and start again today? And being big enough with one another to go, yeah, it really hurt me. It really upset me yesterday. I went home. I didn't sleep very much because of what you said and what you did. Yeah, okay, let's start over. But in the bank, you've got to have stuff that has built that relationship. If you've got nothing in the bank and it's the stuff that you were saying before, if you're starting from from a base of nothing and it's very competitive and it's very dysfunctional, you're not going to have a conversation like that. Absolutely not. Do you have any tips then? So you mentioned that leadership is a process of self-awareness and self-discovery and it's a work in progress, but do you have any tips on building strong leadership skills? You've got to do the coaching. You've got to get into a coaching relationship with someone. You've got to find someone that you trust. And like at one stage I had about five different people who were mentoring me. Find some really good people that you respect and you look up to because you're not going to listen to someone that you don't respect or look up to. And that's where the importance of coaches and mentors come in. Yeah, yeah. And really start to be open to hearing how others see you. How you see yourself is great because you can go off and you can do a MBTI or you can do a a TMS profiling tool or you can do... What is MBTI and... That's the Myers-Briggs and that's like in Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFP, so an extrovert, intuitive, feeling, perceptive person. Or at the other end of the continuum, it's ISDJ, which is introvert, structured thinking, judging. I think I've done something like this in the past called DISC, D-I-S-C. Ah, yes, DISC. That was many years ago. Where were you on that? High D, second I memory (laughs) very good (laughs) uh, the two qualities that were important for leadership so dominant and influence influencer i think the the i stands for yes yes yeah um yeah but it's interesting so it's worth then doing these profiles and where can people do it do they need to find a coach do you have something on your website is there a universal website where they can yeah look just google coaches yes there is stuff on my website and i'd love to coach people but i would say to you that the 360 is even more important because the 360 is you get to see how you see yourself but you get to also see how others see you but that's a deep dive as you talk about a deep dive before we go on then dr lambert what is your website address that's a i don't go i don't google myself It's www.drtinalambert.com.au and the doctor is D-R-T-I-N-A-L-A-M-B-E-R-T. 
with the team management profiling, the leadership is in the middle. So it doesn't matter where you sit on the wheel, you are a leader. And that's really important to me. That's a tool that talks to my values and my beliefs. And the emotional intelligence tool is brilliant because it's about self-perception. It's about self-expression. It's about our decision-making. It's about our interpersonal relationships. And it's about how we're managing our stress. And that's critical. And that's why I hooked into your program because sometimes we need to be reminded about the breath work, breathing, so important to calm us down, especially in times of great stress. And to be reminded about eating the right things and doing all these, this is all stress management. Those things are important because, and something I discovered early on, I couldn't be an effective leader if I wasn't in a position where I was physically strong, mentally sharp, and emotionally solid. So I think for people listening out there, if you're in a position of leadership, and it could be just at home, being a parent is a position of leadership. Being a friend in a friendship group is a position of leadership. Being a manager in an organization or even just a team member, you can't bring your best self to the job, to the organization, to the friendship group, to the family, If you are not physically fit, mentally healthy as well, emotionally happy, and those things you mentioned are super important. So I treat myself like an athlete. I eat exceptionally well. I get sunshine. I get enough sleep. I meditate. I have afternoon naps. (laughs) It's fantastic. And I've said this to people, just 10 minutes, 15 minutes, put a do not disturb sign up on your office or go to a little office, book it for 15 minutes, just sit there and meditate or just sit in the stillness if you don't think that you can meditate. Take your attention. I've done shikung, so I know how how to practice diaphragmatic breathing, but also to try and take my mind to the tantin. And the tantin is the space around your belly. And so even just by putting your hands on your belly, you can press in and take your mind there. It doesn't mean that your mind doesn't jump. It just means that you keep on taking your mind back there. And when you feel comfortable, just close your eyes and as you settle down and you take your mind back to your tantine, it's amazing how it just can settle you down. And sometimes we need to do those little interventions. You can't find an office, go to the loo, sit on the loo, take your Go outside. Go outside, sit in nature, under a tree, even (laughs) better. (laughs) Yes. Now, I can't believe it's been an hour. The area of change management is something Mm. perhaps we can do at a few future times. I'll let you actually elaborate more on some of the points that you wanted to raise from what we've already talked about. Yeah, look, I, I think that change links into the uncertainty and how we're managing that in our organisations. I got an email today from the OECD Observatory of Public Sector Innovation and they've done this great big review and they talk about having the human at the centre of the organisation, not looking at an organisation in a way where we do all those tangible things but we forget about the human being. And they've said effective communication and inclusive participation build trust in times of crisis. It's just going to be change on change. And this is historic now, but we need to increase our collaboration 
inside our organisations as well as outside. And we really do need to embrace uncertainty. And that then brings in the leadership. It brings in the change. It brings in the way that we communicate. Everything that we've touched on, it brings in the empathy and the humility, Sam. And this is what all of these ingredients don't sit in nice little neat boxes. They all interact. They all interweave. They're all part of the whole. I don't know if you read one of my blogs on my web is around the the frog and the bicycle and how we think of an organisation as a bicycle that we can pull it apart and put it back together again and it's going to just flow. That's not the case. You start hiving things off and cutting things off and wanting to change to that extent that you kill the beast. You kill the humanity in the organisation. Yes, yes. So. Really good analogy. I, I love it. Yeah, there is wisdom in uncertainty. And I just want to remind people that uncertainty brings the best out of us. Also, I'm releasing an article soon on longevity and how to stay young. And when I say stay young, I don't just mean at the cellular level because our genetics has a lot to play on that, but it does impact the cellular level as well. And that is, I think the secret to staying young is to embrace change and to see uncertainty as the opportunity for growth. I can tell you in our organization, the uncertainty that COVID brought on was completely embraced. I I love uncertainty because that's where we are shaken out of our day-to-day mundane repetition And we're thrown into a new arena. And from that, we developed some of the most leading software solutions. We changed our processes. Our uh, customer experience changed completely. We redesigned everything. And that was all out of uncertainty. Yes, and the ingredient underneath that. What are the ingredients underneath that that allow you to do that? And it's that empathy and it's that safety and it's that feeling of belonging. So it doesn't matter if it's a tough situation externally. And this is why I keep on saying if you want to be able to do the innovation, to be creative in times of change, you've got to have the building blocks underneath that to support it. And if you've got the building blocks, then you're going to be innovative. You're going to be creative. It's not going to impact you on the way that it's going to impact an organization that's passive aggressive or dysfunctional. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned one of the models earlier, I forget the Lexioni, you mentioned the bottom of that pyramid or that it's trust. And I think a, a functional and open and honest communicative environment builds that level of trust. And that's the foundation of all human relationships, even not just with your family, not just with your friends, but also with your, uh, ultimately your clients and your customers. If they have a level of trust that you have their back, whether by product or by service, whether you're a hairdresser or whether you're a mortgage broker or a lawyer, they will stick with you. Uh, yep. The loyalty will, will be there. Then I, I guess to sum it all up then, Dr. Lambert, is what is the qualities of great leaders? Like what are the essential qualities that all leaders should have universal? I'm not talking about values now, but yeah, what are the the top qualities of fearless leaders that take us through uncertainty and at a time like this? How do people that are listening now 
who are growing something or navigating through these uncertain times, whether it's a family or an organization, what is the number one quality needed for people to say, that's a leader, okay, that, or that is my leader, or I am that leader? That is such a big question, Sam. I could talk for another hour on that, but I think you have to really be up close and personal with yourself. You really have to understand who you are. You really have to. Yes. So me as a leader, you as a leader, it's quite clear how you lead. You're passionate. You're clear about where you're focused. You've got that vision. You know where you're heading and you sell that message. You know, people have no doubt about where you're going and what you're doing and where you're trying to go. You've got systems and processes and structures in place to support your vision. You've built your culture. But here's the dichotomy, and you talked about this very early in the piece. You talked about the self and the organisation. So I'm talking about both, aren't I? What's your vision? How are you selling it? What are your systems and structures and processes that are going to support that? But how are you building relationships? How are you building your culture? You also have to become a master of your own emotional ship. We do get angry. You can't just cut your emotions and put them to one side. It's about how you manage your emotions. So that's really important to understand and also to recognise that sometimes it's really not all about you. This is the humility and the empathy stuff. Yes, that's right. It's not always about you. It's actually about the other. And the other is how you're bringing them along. I coached one CEO and he's just an amazing man. But he wasn't bringing the people along with him for the journey. And that's why the vision becomes so important. That's why the culture becomes so important. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the whole. Yes, I love that. On that note, thank you so much. Uh, thank Dr. you. It's thank been an absolute you. pleasure uh, to talk with you. And hopefully out of all these topics that we've touched on, I know it was a little unstructured for people, Listening, but it's a great introduction into this area. And I know a lot of people this time of year are looking to start a business or build a business or improve the culture in their business. So I hope we've given you a a little bit of a taste of the different leadership flavors out there and the essential leadership qualities that you need to have. And in future, we're going to do a deep dive on some of these aspects individually because I think they deserve their own attention. Thank you again, Tina, if Thank I can you, call you Tina. <laughs> Thank you. Definitely can. Excellent. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And as always, it is most important that you all live consciously, my friends. Thank you for listening. Bye.